If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Thank you all, one and all. Thank you so much. Uh, for your warm welcome, I decided um, to, uh, to enter with a song when we were, we were conceiving of this concept because I find it very hard to do anything without throwing my voice into people's faces. And I once saw Patti LaBelle come on stage without a microphone. I don't know if she'd forgotten it and she just went, I'm going to fucking sing anyway. So that is what I've done for you today. Um, and to get us in the mood, you see, because I'm going to be having a broad conversation with my guests, so I wanted to have a big, broad song to launch things off. I'm looking around, I'm very grateful. Can you believe that in our five days here of the Vanity Project at the Edinburgh Fringe, this is the largest crowd we have attracted yet? So thank you, and I look around and I see complete strangers looking back at me. Faces I do not recognize in the least. So this will be hopefully interesting for you. If you don't know, I have a podcast called The Vanity Project on which um, we interview people from the worlds of culture, politics, media. We've had people like Lorraine Kelly. We've had uh, activist Peter Tatchell. We've had um, a couple of Labour MPs. Um, we've had the Scottish comedian Karen Dunbar. So we're really happy with how the podcast is going, but I definitely wanted to come to Edinburgh and use the opportunity to have conversations with comedians, and we've got two of them here with us today. So without further ado, let's welcome them to the stage. They're obviously both performing shows here at the Edinburgh Festival. We have the fabulous Sarah Mills and Andy McLeod. Ah. <clears throat> Hello. Hi. How are you? Hello. Hello. Oh, this is exciting to see you both in the flesh. Yes. All I've seen you in is your press release. Yes, and so now I'm seeing you and you are real people. Now, um, we're going to want you to hold your microphones when you speak because that way we'll be able to record the audio for our, for our delightful audience at home. Testing. Hello. Oh, Hello. that's much better. Hello. Hello. 
Andy, I feel like you are trepidatious. No, I, I feel nice and relaxed. I'm nice and relaxed, good. I'm pleased to hear. I know this is your first time here in Edinburgh, is that yeah, right? Yeah, I've, nev I've never, uh, never done it before. Yes, yeah. so it's exciting. We're going to talk about your show. We're going to talk about Sarah's show, although I have to say Sarah is a veteran of the Fringe, right? You've been here how many times? I, oh, God, I don't know now. Maybe like eight. Eight times. Yeah, not always doing shows. Sometimes just up here to get drunk. Yes, well, we're very good at that in Scotland. Mm. Yes, mm. you'll find that you will be drinking at a competitive level. <laughs> yes. At all times, which is what we like. Um, so you're both bringing your shows here. We have one show which is uh, very confessional from Sarah, Badass. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's called Badass because Sarah... Um, has a story that she'll be telling us in a minute about bowel cancer. Yes. That's the basis of your whole yeah. piece. And Andy, Andy McLeod is yeah. in uh, a music-oriented show. Yes. Very exciting. You've been an A&R man in music industry for some time. Yes, yes. But before that... Before that, I was in a failed wannabe Britpop band. Okay. Called The Pointy Birds. The Pointy Birds. Yeah, we, we mm. only had eight fans. Oh, but, uh, did you ever uh, face off with the Angry Birds? No, we never. Yeah, the Angry Birds, exactly. But we had a very <laughs> famous, well, uh, not famous manager at the time, but our manager back in the early 90s was Ricky Gervais, mm. before he was famous. So it was, it's a story of us trying to make, uh, not becoming rich and famous, and our manager going on. Oh, I see. And it's in the era pre-Britpop as well. That must so be that quite frustrating, wasn't it? Yeah, I, d I don't think about it much. That would be how, <laughs> that would be how I felt yeah. if Nathan, who's producing the podcast, became a judge on Britain's Got Talent. Yes, exactly. I would be furious. Yeah. I would be deeply unhappy with it. Um, so, Sarah, your show, it's not your first time you're at the rodeo. The last time you were here at the Edinburgh Fringe, um, everything went wrong. Is that right? Health-wise? No. No? No, everything went wrong the last time I was here. Didn't you have bowel cancer last time you were here? Uh, no. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I've had bowel cancer, but... I see. Not... I, I, I mean, I wasn't aware of it when I was here last. I just... Um, yeah, no, I had bowel cancer in... I found out I had bowel cancer in 2018, and I was immediately... Not quite immediately, but, like, within a matter of months, treated for it. So I was cancer-free, again, like, almost as soon as I knew that I had it. But then I've, I'm, I'm still in remission now from cancer. But, yeah, I mean, I guess I have travelled to Edinburgh Fringe unwittingly with bowel cancer. But thankfully it's not catching, so I didn't bring it up here to Very any good. of you guys. Very good. So tell us a bit about the show that you're doing at the Fringe this year. So it's called Badass, and it starts with well, it starts before cancer, and it's about like being a gadabout girl about town, like getting laid as much as possible, and then like I find blood in my poo, so I go get like all tests done, colonoscopies, gastroscopies, poo in a pot, all this sort of stuff, and then yeah, find out. I've got bowel cancer, and so it's about going through the treatment and coming out the other side. And it's a love note to the NHS. It's very important to me. It was very important to me that I like told the story of the people that treated me while I was mm. going through that surgery and everything else. And is it an amusing show? It's very amusing, I think. I asked the... I d how rude can we be here? Oh, you can say cunt. <laughs> I mean, that wasn't the word I was going for, but, okay. I, but now I want to say it. You can go all the way up to that. Can I? Mm. I just want to get one. Is there anything beyond that word? Well, no. there are racial epithets. We definitely don't yeah, use we, those. We that's that's more that. than yeah, a swear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose I can say faggot. Okay. But we can't. No, I won't say it. No, I, you can. I don't swear. I don't swear. Cunt. Oh, <laughs> that felt good. I needed to get that out. Yes. Very good. Would you like to throw one in as well, Andy? Uh, cock. <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> I felt good, actually. Very good. Yeah. There seems to be a theme. I've been talking to some of the other guests that we've had here about um, about the idea of uh, you know taking your broken heart and making it into art, as Carrie Fisher wrote. Um, you know the idea that you know personal trauma or difficult experiences mm. is very germane ground or is very fertile ground for writing comedy. Right? Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Like before I had cancer, I just used to tell dick jokes and puns, and it was never particularly meaningful. And I think having gone through cancer and everything that goes with it, you know, like bashes to your finances, bashes to your body, like the jokes have just written them. Like suddenly like I have purpose to my comedy and I think that's really helpful. Mm, I'm still muddling along purposelessly, I have to say. <laughs> it is mostly dick jokes. In fact, the next question I was going to ask was, Andy, has anybody ever rummaged around your anus for medical reasons <laughs> or otherwise? Well, I was just going to say, I just went to see a show called um, Dodging the Question. I went to see a show called Dick uh, that's on here mm. about a guy who's uh, got penile cancer and he yes. had his penis cut off. Yeah, I've and it's seen, an amazing, I've seen it's him. It's an amazing show. It really is worth seeing. It's on at the uh, infirmary. And it's his journey of discovering it, it uh, yeah. Ironically. Yeah. Yeah. So it's good. But what was the question again about my anus? It was about your <laughs> anus. <but laughs> what was the question again about we my can anus? We can move on no, seamlessly from that. Um, because in your own show, it, it deals as well with, you know, your well, shooting for a goal. Mine's failure and it's a much more superficial level of, uh, it's failure and dreaming. It's a sort of, I wrote a book, I was in a band. And then I spent a few years writing this book, which I put out in lockdown, and it's called Anoint My Head, How I Failed to Make It as a Britpop Indie Rock Star. Mm -hmm. And it tells us that I work in a record shop in Soho, and uh, by day and by night we're touring the toilet circuit in Camden. And this is just pre-Britpop. And I get a phone call one day, it's this guy called Ricky. He said, I used to manage Suede, I'm, I love your demo. And we went on this six-month journey where he, he managed us and tried to make us famous. And uh, it, it didn't work out. So I just kind of, and all around us are bands like Suede and Blur and Pulp, and I think they're all rubbish, and we're destined, and we're trying to get rid of this stupid manager called Ricky, who's also rubbish. And of course, they all go on, and the reader knows that, that we don't. And even the shop I worked in ended up on the cover of the Oasis album, What's Story Morning Glory. So even the shop I worked in kind of went on to fame and fortune, and we left. So I, I kind of wrote the book as a sort of, thing and then I, I thought I'll come and do the Edinburgh Book Festival I can but uh, somewhere along the line changed I got booked into a comedy venue which I'd never done before and I, I spent the last six months turning it into a one-man show which is the hardest thing I've ever done I I, I'm loving every second of it now and have you performed before this project have you performed other than in in the band not, have you not done any other kind of performance no, for 30 years ago I was in the band mm. and then I kind of hung up the plectrum uh, my, my nickname was Horace back then, and I kind of killed off Horace as this dreamer. And I, I moved to the side, moved into the music industry, and became a promoter, and, and went on that other side. But in the last few years, uh, uh, Horace has been whispering, going, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm back, kind of uh, in the in the show. I have these sunglasses, and that's my kind of device for the younger and older self, you know. So yeah, Horace has risen basically. And how does it compare for you? There's a big difference in like obviously what you're doing when you're in a band versus when you're creating comedy or when you're creating a play yeah do you have a preference for one style of performance over the other well the book I love you know writing a book was fantastic and then I love writing songs that's all good but it's all very controlled you know you you're in charge but oh I've noticed with this it's like it's a, a, a live beast isn't it when you're doing stand-up and every day is different and it's it's a it, it doesn't matter what you think is good, it's how the audience has got to be involved, hasn't mm. it? So I'm, I'm on a real learning curve with that. Uh, I, you know, I just thought I'd do this 
that and you kind of can it, it's changing all the time so it's yeah I'm, I'm really loving it and learning a lot yes am i anus uh is that yeah i can't remember that question <laughs> ramaged around i feel like you have a strong desire to return to this question andy <laughs> <laughs> yeah i did actually they did the other oh. day because um i had this thing on my nose uh i went to the doctors and I said, oh, this thing, my nose don't know, it needs to be checked. And then as I was there, they said, oh, it doesn't look serious. And I said, well, no, I do get up a lot in the night. Um, I'm always going to the loo, and I'm of that age, and I was thinking of prostate and all that. And they said, well, go along the corridor and um, knock on that door there. And I, next thing I knew, this guy was putting on a blue marigold glove. and giving me a So, yeah, they, that, that happened. I would kept went in to look for my nose, and the next thing... I thought I'd just share this. And with what you. happened with your nose in the end? With the nose? What happened you know, with I've your nose? I've been putting a cream on it, and it does seem to be dis the patch on my nose is going. I don't know what it is though. And, and what happened with your bum hole? He said it. It's a little bit enlarged. <laughs> it's a little bit enlarged, but I don't think anything worried about. But then I had to go for a blood test. Yeah. And because uh, you need to do both checks. Don't I tell us this is test. a cliffhanger. Have you got the results? I haven't had. They. I've never heard anything, so I'm just assuming it's fine. Don't and assume. You're sure yeah, you, you were in. You make in. an ass of you and me. Exactly. Yes. I did think. Uh, well. Yeah. I know. I you should change that up, mate. Yeah, I will. Do. Are you absolutely I, I was sure that this was a, a hospital? That you, <laughs> <went Yeah. to? laughs> you didn't accidentally participate in some fringe theatre, did you? <laughs> Super immersive. Yeah. Your show's at the Caves, right, Andy? The Caves the in caves. Edinburgh, I don't know if you know, it's like, there's quite a lot of venues like this in Edinburgh that are like quite beautiful, actually, but they're on like the cellars of old yeah. buildings. Yeah. And the Caves used to be where the Torture Garden nightclub came to when it came to Edinburgh. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. So Torture Garden is a sex club for anybody yeah. that wants to know. And they do performances where like they'll, there'll be somebody who clips crocodile clips to their eyelids and puts weights on the end and then swings around in circles and stuff. Oh, it's absolutely obscene. I went to Torture Garden once and I saw a man um, have a rope tied around his penis and then get jacked off. Gosh, see, it's quite exciting if you're interested in body horror. <laughs> I feel like we're doing a better promo of Torture Garden than of our yes, own shows. Yes, <laughs> possibly. Now, your show, though... Yeah. Um, you are, I know that you're, I s I've seen pictures of you sitting on a throne of toilet paper. Yes! And there's a time at which that would have been seen enormously decadent, for example, the first two months of lockdown. <laughs> so tell us about the toilet paper loo roll Yes, throne. I'm so sorry that I've been hoarding loo roll um, retroactively. I, so with Badass, we have partnered with Bowel Cancer UK. So your lovely producer, Nathan, has set up a partnership with Bowel Cancer UK because it was very important that like, people come into the show because we talk about these issues to, like, around like, what the symptoms are, around bowel health. You know, we, we need to do our due diligence and have uh, someone, a body of, of you know, an organisation offering support if needed. So we've partnered with Bowel Cancer UK and to sort of launch ourselves as the badass movement on Edinburgh. Uh, we also partnered with a loo roll company, Bamboo, who lent us enough loo roll to build a throne of loo roll. So on the first morning mm. of the Fringe, I sat atop a throne of loo roll in a robe and a crown. I had a scepter with loo roll on the top. And I just yelled at people going past whether or not they checked their poo. And that was, that was my main decree as, as queen of poo, was have you checked your poo? I scared some young children. Yes. But everyone else was educated about bowel health, so. 
all in all, it balanced out good. I have to say, I don't think I've ever had a conversation about bowel health. This is an area of conversation. I've that's had so you many conversations yeah. about bowel health. It never-ending conversations about bowel health. It's um. And is it one of those things? If you get it early, it, it's much more likely to then uh, with the bowel cancer. Yeah. Y- 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 yeah. You don't test then you get it late it's too late sort of i'm yeah. i'm not a bowel cancer doctor oh, okay. just to be clear right. patients this is how <laughs> you yeah, get yeah, into yeah. these problems andy yeah yeah you treat everyone like a doctor and next thing you know there's a hand up your ass <laughs> <laughs> i'm detecting a theme here <laughs> i feel like there's something of the andrex puppy to that promo shoot the andrex uh, puppy was always surrounded do you know by what they say never work with um pets. animals yeah. and children don't they so we didn't we did, like I say, there were lots of children going by that were giggling uproariously at me yelling about poo from my throne in the middle of the Pleasance. But I think, like, that has done... Like, it's got a lot of coverage. And the most important thing for me is to speak about bowel cancer symptoms, but also speak about the NHS. So I feel like at least I've done the first thing there. You know, we, we've got people... There's been so much coverage of it, and I do think, like, the whole point is... The idea behind the loo roll stunt is it's... Um, part of this hashtag on a roll campaign which is where they're trying to get the symptoms of bowel cancer printed on loo roll oh because it's because one of the main symptoms is blood in your poo which i know is gross to talk about but it's way better than talking about poo in your blood i <laughs> indeed i'm curious um sarah so obviously you were well looked after it sounds like your experience yes. has been very caring and very supportive from the people at the nhs and i always want to know but was there like a really nasty story of some obnoxious nurse that you can tell us? Or were they all just absolutely like, you know, for example, today I saw in the newspaper that yeah. a person has been put on like a disciplinary procedure in a hospital because as a member of the staff, they were um, playing trapdoor run on the ward door of a paranoid patient. What's trapdoor run? It's where you knock and you run off. <laughs> That's so I know. This is the kind of NHS story I want to hear. You can't get out of bed in hospital. That's like tortuous. It they probably torturous. thought it was a ghost Whoa. and that they were seeing ghosts because they, they were it was in the killer. Fucking hell. You don't want that after bowel surgery. No, but it makes a good story. It does make a good story. No, my main issue was with the fact that it, there were just so few staff. Like mm. that was that's sort of what I'm talking about in Badass is that everyone I met was doing their absolute best, but it still wasn't like, there were so many points during my diagnosis where I could have fallen through the cracks because, ah, the cracks. I could have fallen through the cracks because, <laughs> like, um, th- it was just quite chaotic, like getting onto a treatment pathway. And that's not anyone's fault within the NHS. That is literally because there aren't enough people within it, mm. and that's because it's not funded well enough. So that's always been, sorry, that, I know you wanted like a, 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 a fun conversation about a nurse who, I don't know, dressed up as a werewolf and hid under my bed or something, but they were all great. One did d- duck out and get a McDonald's one day, but I mean, I do that in my job, so. Unacceptable. <laughs> <coughs> and it was when I was kneeled by mouth as well, so I could smell this McDonald's and I was like, you bitch. Mm. But she was at the end of like a 12-hour shift, it's so... It's pervasive, the smell of McDonald's. I know. I might get one quite How soon, How do you actually. feel about people eating hot food on public transport? I support people eating food on public transport. I think hot food is going a bit too far. Like, I do think, like, so my mum's of a generation where she will... If someone's eating on the train, she'll be like, oh, isn't that so rude? And I always think, well, no, this is London, I'm, so I live in London, and it's like, 
no one's got time. This, the whole point is that everyone's got three different jobs because no one's got money and we all have to do three jobs and so you have to just eat on the fly. Mm. Boomer. That's what I say to my mum. <laughs> Fucking bitch. Um, Andy, you were told um, once by a friend in your music days that you should have singing lessons. Yeah. I think they were right, you know. And have you received <coughs> any similar criticism of your current <laughs> show from friends? No, but I, I mean, I, I like singers that can't sing. Mm. So I was very much, uh, you know, growing up when I wanted to be a band, I, I, you know, Maria Carey's or the, you know, uh, Whitney Houston's, it's, it's nice technically and all that, but, you know, Robert Smith of The Cure mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, all, all those people that just go for it, I think in that, I like that. I so, but that doesn't necessarily mean you could still got a good bad voice, do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I just I saw Nick Cave in Berlin. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. he's sort of, he can sort of sing. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like he's, he's, not, he's not a, yeah. what's the opposite? Uh, gosh, what is the opposite of a chanteuse? A male, a chanteur? A uh, yeah, chanteur, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or crooner. Yeah. But he's an uh, amazing voice though, isn't it? I mean, yeah. But, but it's got a, it's a growl, it's an attack. Yeah. It's, he's like a preacher band. man. Yeah. Yes. I mean, yeah, so I loved all that. So I, I didn't see any uh, bar to entry to being a rock star mm -hmm. by my lack of uh, technical ability. And I, I, I knew three chords on the guitar and some of the greatest songs of three chords. So I, I, but I was quite limited. I mean, you know, and I just sort of was so driven and I got people in that could play into the band. So I sort of sh shoehorned them in whether they wanted to be in the band or not. You know. How much of a rock band's composition needs to be sort of talent? Because I think about, um, you know, Malcolm McLaren certainly felt like it wasn't that important how well the Sex Pistols could play. Yeah. You know, that, that there's a s sensibility that makes a rock star. Yeah, I think it's always got one person in the band that's a good songwriter. Mm. The rest can then, d and then there's a good attitude. And then it, I think it's uh, that desire to want to do it. Because I think, you know, when I've gone into the other side and you kind of manage bands or work with bands, it's amazing how many bands there are out there that like the idea of it. Mm. And as soon as you get a little bit of success, it only takes one of them to go, oh, I don't know if I really want to do this. They mm. might like being in a band in their town, but suddenly if you've got to go out on the road and then getting back late and then there's, there's just, it is a very difficult thing. And then some, some people are just, you know, born to it. And the ones that make it, those ones, you know, like a Bruce Springsteen, I mean, they are just unbelievable. They just can sustain it and go out every night and play and give it their all, you know. That's something I, I noticed with, with the Nick Cave show or that I think of when I see him is that, you know, there's the impression that they're kind of like a merry traveling band. Like yeah. they could have been in a different era 200 years yeah. ago, going village to village like a carnival. <laughs> yeah. And that nomadic aspect of being in a band. Yeah. I'm like, gosh, I don't know if I'd like that. I quite like being based in London. I shoot off sometimes. Yeah, the creature comforts. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Sarah, because comedians tend to, a, a lot of the comedians I know just go city to city to city to city and then they're back home couple of days a week and then off they go again is that your yeah I mean I've got friends that do that and it does the thing with that is that I think it's really lonely because mm. like, at least when you're in a band you're with like your three best mates or whatever like as a comedian you're just on your own I mainly perform around like London and the southeast and then I do a lot of writing for television as well so a lot of what I do is is either quite collegiate with other people or it's in venues where I know other acts. I think that's the nice thing about doing comedy is it feels a bit like, I don't know what it feels like. It's just like you go to a gig and you'll always know one person there and it's like you're in a little club, I guess. So that's quite nice. Like comedy is really collegiate and, and supportive. I think it's got a reputation for like being a bit 
sort of, I don't know, backstabby and, and not like that and competitive, but I've always found it um, a really nice community to be a part of, the comedy community. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, are, for both of you, are you... Um, th- I'm thinking of different things when I'm having these conversations because it's interesting me to sit down with people that are producing stuff that is s- straightforward comedy because I work in a cabaret sort of end of things. It's a little bit yeah. different. M- the music and there's a weird marriage of, of the two of them. I think that um, there's something very exposing about when you're up there. Oh, 100%. Just talking. Because yeah. usually if I, you know, I can always just go to another song or or there's aspects of my show that are bullet punctuation marks and um, that I have to meet musically. So it lets you off the hook to feel too much pressure from being exposed with your words. Well, funny enough, I actually thought about putting songs into Badass, and I think that would have made it harder for me, just because like, what you're doing is like jumping between more than one discipline. So you need to be warmed up for both disciplines, you need to be like ready and practice for mm. both disciplines. I'm actually, I've let myself off the hook by not doing that right. in my show. Um, it is exposing though, especially like obviously my show I talk about um, my bum a lot hmm. and poo and being in operating theatres and all this kind of stuff. Uh, so it, like it's even more, it's like doubly exposing, I guess, if that's possible. And were you always, uh, so has writing this show been where that readiness for vulnerability has come from? Or were you comfortable talking about your body before yeah I think that's a really good question actually like I yeah I didn't really talk any about anything intimate before I uh started talking about the cancer like I my you know I did used to talk but like I made sex jokes but like they were all they weren't really true of my life but Mm -hmm. now like the stuff I'm saying on stage with badass is is true Mm mm-hmm yeah, I think I, I understand that. Like, I, I make endless sex jokes. If anyone has, stu- we have some people here that came to our drag queen wine tasting earlier on, and you know, oh, yeah. it's littered with innuendos, but they're easy to make when they are impersonal, you know? Yeah, so exactly. Just sort of it's, it's um kabuki theater of innuendo. That's really all it is. It's <laughs> not like I'm talking about my actual life, which is entirely private, and I won't answer any questions about it. <laughs> However, I do want you guys to know that if you want to ask any questions of our guests, we will do a little Q&A in just a few minutes. So if you're something is rolling around in your mind that you'd like to ask them, Rodney, is something ro- you look like you might... Or do you want to ask it now? Okay, well, go ahead, Rodney. Sarah, Sarah. hello. I love being called a lady, though. I'm not one. Yeah. I know you cunts. We don't have that here. Yeah. 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 So in Scotland, they do it. In Scotland, they do do it for 50 and over. And in England, it's 60 and over. So I always say... And this is, comes up in my show. Like, if I'd been screened for it, then I, it would have been caught earlier. And so, like, people over 60 are screened routinely, which proves the boomers are getting all the best stuff, including, like, fucking bowel cancer tests. Like, the NHS literally has, like, this weird package that they send out, like you say, a pot in the post, fill up with your poo, send it back again. I'm jealous of that. Jealous. How did you watch him? It seems like you were involved. Yeah. 
I need that in my show. I'm so glad you're here. Like, that's great. I'm, I don't know why I'm stood up, but I'm so excited that that's what I did. I just need to walk around in a circle and come back about that. Okay, I'm like, wow. That's amazing. Because in the show, I say, like, the woman uh, gives me the option either to do, like, my poo sample there when I'm in hospital or to take it home, take, take the little pot home and come back with it. But she says, you need to keep it in the fridge in the meantime. And I'm like, well, I've got a flatmate. I don't think they're going to like that. So I'll, I'll just get it done while I'm here. Thanks, love. And so I did. That's crazy that you can't, you have to do it in the cooler months, your bowel cancer screenings. My favourite thing about that was that you used the word cook. The poo cooks in the heat. That's disgusting. And I do I love hope. It. I do hope you definitely sent it to the right address. <laughs> that could be seen as offensive to somebody who would receive, you know, roasted. Um, <clears throat> oh. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, there's the Aussie humour for us, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was your name? Sorry. Rodney, thanks for that. I'm going to totally work that in. I love that. Rodney visits the UK in August when he can. Most years you come, don't you? But it's because you like the rest of the year is when you're doing your poo samples when <laughs> it's cooler. Yeah, that was the thing. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's been even harder lockdown over there, hasn't it? Now, Andy, you you have Scottish roots, I believe, I do. so you're not yeah. a stranger. I, uh, I mean, presumably you're not a stranger to Edinburgh, but your your family's Scottish. Yeah, both my parents from Edinburgh. My mum was from Morningside. Morningside. Oh, lovely. You just my dad was from Merkison, and they met when they were 15. Wow. And my dad gate crashed my mum's birthday, and uh, he said when she opened the door, he, he fell in love. And they they then got married a few years later. A few mm. years later, they they I came along, and then every year because they moved down to London, every year I we'd go up to Edinburgh for uh, the summer holidays. And one year, oh. my grand, there's, so there's two sets of grandparents, and they had their dogs. And, you know, I really wanted a dog. So it was like, really exciting to go see it. But one year, my granddad said, oh, there's this new movement in town. And this was like mid-80s. I was probably early 80s. I was probably about 12 or 13. And my granddad said, there's this new movement in town. It's called the Fringe. And he said, I want you to go. He gave, gave me and my brother 10p each. And he said, I want you to go in and investigate and report back. It's, it was like this really exciting secret mission. And uh, up to that point, it, for us, the festival had been like the military tattoo and mm. kilted soldiers and bagpipes and all that stuff. But when, when we went in, I, I mean, it was just mind-blowing. I, I, at that age, it was sort of this subterranean world of music and comedy. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, yeah, this, this, these, these are my people. Mm. And I, I, I remember feeling, I'm going to come back one day. You know, that just excitement. Yeah, one, one year, I'll come back and do a show. Uh, but I never did. Yeah, until, well you until now. now. Until now. So there's been a real... Homecoming. Both my parents. They'd, well, my mum died uh, a few months ago of bowel cancer, actually. Did she? Yeah, yeah, she did. And my dad's Fuck. ill. And so my dad's been going. God, you um, going back to Edinburgh is this ma mad kind of homecoming for mm -hmm. me because it really is familiar. And I've half, I haven't been back here for years. But to be at the at the fringe performing, and also going back to it, it's so all like seeing Arthur's Seat and all the stone. Yeah. So I mean, every second of being here is is amazing, really. Yeah. Are you one of those people, Andy, I wonder, not to put you on the spot if you can't, but are you able to do a Scottish accent? Because I always find that people who have parents who are Scottish but they grew up in England or can always go back into yeah, it. Yeah, I'm, I'm really good at it. Okay, the news, you man. Away with you, lad. Yeah, yeah. But they have a kind of soft Edinburgh accent. It's, more, right. it's almost more English. 
Yes. Know, it's that kind of. But no, I. The it's, Maggie it's Smith, really the Miss Jean yes, Brodie. Exactly. They've spent the afternoon at Cremont. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not, not drawing attention to yourself or being a big poser. That's the thing. It's like, oh, anything like that. So, but weirdly, they're they both quite shy. My parents. So doing, uh, but I. They produced this kind of big show off. I, I was, you know, desperately on the stage and all that. But um, yeah, so yeah, so it's, it's really lovely to be here. And it's 30 years since, also, that's the other weird symmetry to this. It's about 30 years since we, uh, when the band split up. And it's almost when I'm doing the show and it's sort of set in a record shop. And there's certain gigs I'm talking about. And it's like, God, this is almost the anniversary of the gig and I'm back here. So it's all this all things coming from And are the you circle. still in touch with the other, with the rest of the band? I mean, was it? Yeah. And and you get along, you're all cool. Yeah, they just keep telling me to, you know, let sleeping dogs die. Lie, please. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and Ricky, I see Ricky occasionally on the heath, you know, he's jogging past and I'm trying to get him to tweet about the show, but he's, he's He is busy. always on the heath. Yeah, yeah. He is, he walks, yeah, yeah. so my friend always ends up chatting away to him because they walk their dogs and on he the heath. Bro- strokes the dogs, yeah. yeah and yeah. just chats a load of nonsense yeah. to him, yeah. to Ricky. Has Ricky Gervais seen your... Play. He hasn't seen. That's touch. the kind of aim I think. I think if he if he actually came along and saw it, then I've I've got somewhere with it. But I think uh, with the book, I I needed his book because he's in the book. But all the jokes are on me, really. I mean, obviously the reader knows he's got, even though he's saying we're trying to get rid of this loser. You know, you kind of know. And Brett Anderson from Suede, you know, and Damon from Blur, they're all they're all useless. But the jokes are all on me. So I did sort of get in touch, say, look, can I? your lawyers aren't going to come, but they just said good luck. Ricky doesn't have time to read your book, unfortunately. Mm. He's a bit busy with his various projects, but good luck with it. But I've got a cutout of Ricky Gervais in the show, a life-size cutout, and I've got a, a poo bag, a dog poo bag over his head to cover him up. Does he know this? Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know if he does know, but he know, he's been sent the stuff. But, um, yeah, he might find out one day. Yeah, it's fine, though. It's fine. I mean, we've checked with, you know, people, and they... You know, if he's listening now, he can, you know, and he finds out, he might then go, oh, wait a second, you've got a poo bag on my head. It it's like a condom, actually. Yeah. Now, Rodney has asked a question about healthcare in the United Kingdom. I wonder if anybody has any other questions from uh, the audience for either of our two guests. Um, it doesn't have to be about healthcare provision. It can be about the, <laughs> life, of a, can be about the life of a comedian on the road or, or indeed of somebody, an artist management and music and all the rest no questions today the curiosity levels are low i think it's the heat i have to tell you yeah. see with hair like this i do not know how diana ross does it i'm absolutely <laughs> sweltering um so i suppose i want to ask are you happiest on stage or are you happier in other th- stages oh of i love life? being on stage is yeah. it bit is that your ideal moment in like for me i like to be in the kitchen cooking with music on, my friends are coming around. That's my favourite oh, place. Oh, that's nice. I like to I like to put on makeup. Like I like mm. the time when I'm putting I'm listening to music is when I'm doing makeup. I love makeup. But um yeah, I do like being on stage, but it depends if a show's going well. Um if a show is going well I like it. And then sometimes it does, you know, it 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 feels like, you know, as a comedian, if you're doing like your ten minute spot and, and your joke your first few jokes haven't landed, that that then starts to feel like work. Mm. Not not something you love, but um, mo- uh, thankfully that doesn't happen to me often. But it does happen occasionally. You know, you, n- you don't always have great gigs. And what about yourself, Andy? Yeah, no, I'm I'm really enjoying. Being, I mean, I've got the thing you were saying. Uh, my my show's like five acts, but it's interspersed with four pointy bird songs. So I've got pit stops. So I I do the first bit and I get to a song, 
uh, whether the audience like it or not. I'm going to play it, you know. But they, I'm playing them, whereas before I, I was thinking these were songs that were going to be future number ones. I'm now playing them for laughs. They could I still be future well, number ones. Well, this is it. You never know. But I, it's amazing when you play for laughs, you can just... And people are laughing mm -hmm. when I play them. I think, oh, right, maybe they weren't serious songs I thought. But so, I, and I, yeah, it's just great fun because it changes. So if you are having a bit where, you, yeah, so you can tell the story, song, story, song, and you throw a few jokes in, but it's not about the joke, it's just the story. So, uh, but I can throw in, we used to have into song banter, which were terrible jokes. So there are terrible jokes and things, but if they fall flat, it's part, part of the story. And do you find that that's like, is that something you feel that you love when you're, the moments where you're on stage, that's like the best part of the day for you? Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And, and also, when you, if it's gone well, that's that, that, that lovely feeling uh, after it as well. You go, wow, you got through it and it went well. That's just a really like, because you've combated some, the fear of doing it, because you get the nerves before, oh, why am I doing this? And then you do it. And then after, you just have like, well, have a drink or a cup of tea and you just sit there going, feeling really nice feeling. But obviously, the reverse is true if it doesn't go so well. It's like, are oh, you racking it? You know, go, oh my God. When yeah. it comes to writing songs, I can't remember who this was. There's somebody that writes famous songs who said that their method is not to write the song as them. They think, um, how, you know, they write it almost as someone else. So they would write the song as if they're trying to write a song for uh, Justin Bieber or they're trying to write a song for Christina Aguilera. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, or in the style of ABBA or they're trying to write something like that. And it gives them a distance from the work that makes it flow better. Um, a lot of comedians obviously go on stage with a very similar persona to the person that they are in daily life because stand-up mm. is quite naturalized yeah. in many ways. Is that something that you do? Or do you feel like you have to go, right, it, it might be a different lipstick or a different thing, and you go, now I'm Sarah Mills, the comedian, I'm going to go on stage like her. Uh, yeah, it's really weird, actually. And actually, like, I teach comedy a little bit as well, and often classes are like, oh, well, it truly doesn't matter how I present or how I look on stage. And I say, well... It does and it doesn't. Like obviously, if you want to choose for it not to matter, then that's fine. That that's you know. But it's still. But uh, you are still telling a story with how you present. I think so. Like for me, for example, I always talk about being four foot eleven tall, and I make loads of jokes about like how men over six foot are just like nostril hairs and chins to me this so this concerns me so much i have why? my nose waxed because of small people like you <laughs> i'm so sorry because i have to go around doing my show and i'm like for half the audience because a lot of the people that come to my show will be yeah will be will be vertically like, challenged all they see is is your nose hair. forest yeah yes. no i i mean i think it's probably for the best that you do it, it is, honestly it is. Um, it but yeah, the like it, it, I tell yeah. all these jokes. Like I say, you know, I can't date someone so much taller than me because fucking them would be like I was a koala hanging onto a tree rather than actually <laughs> to be having sex. And uh, so, therefore, I try to avoid wearing heels because then if I walk on stage and I actually look about five foot four, people are like, it's funny how like it's such a simple thing that like that people would not connect it in their head. Like they might, they'd go, oh, you're, but you're not that. And it's like, well, I've got sh heels on, but you just need to like lean into the story that you're telling. And so I think if you're sort of talking about like being sort of clumsy and, and unkempt or whatever, then, then, you know, turn up looking a bit daggy. And if you're talking about being together and poised, then you need to look like that on stage. So it's just, um, I think it is, I, you know, as much as I'd love to say, like it doesn't matter how you dress or how you present on stage, like it, uh, it, it does, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
Yeah, I've got weird. Uh, my my persona on stage is really my younger self. So I've got this kind of it's <laughs> through uh, these sunglasses. It's really simple, but there's Horace is my younger self, who's the kind of dreamer, and then my older self that's battling with that. And so when I play the songs, the sunglasses come down. I'm being a rock star. But then the battle of, well, who is right there, that kind of dreamer that's going for it, or the kind of more sensible older person that's going, no, I'm in reality now and you've got to pay the rent or whatever. But that, that, that uh, conflict is going all the time. Still, so when I'm off stage, it's still going on, you know. But you're still trying to make it, but at the same time you're going like, you know. I think audiences yeah. like the sense of like, um, you know, there are levels of, levels of perception or analysis about anything, you know. Um, and we, we, we decide as individuals what's the appropriate level of analysis for certain yeah. things. So at what point is a, a chair something to sit on or it could be something to put your drink on or it could be um, something to throw out the window. Yeah. And so when you're looking at an artist who is, you're playing a younger self, yeah. but they're also aware that part of the story is that this is your story, the artist who is telling it. Yes. So I think that's something that happens in drag all the time. Yeah. Is that yeah, there are yeah. little moments where you change gears to perceive yeah. the, not just the presentation, but also the artist themselves creating the presentation for you. Yeah. So people quite like that, like um, yeah, which, who is changing it? the focus. Yeah. It's like changing the lens. I'm trying to find the best phrase for it. Well, it's the you know what I mean? Uh, the I love the, the unreliable narrator as well yeah. that you think it's uh you know uh, the older in mind the older self is like laughing at this younger look how ridiculous but maybe actually the younger one is really in control and, and or who is in control mm -hmm. but it's quite a fine line because you don't want to uh you've got to be laughing at it but at the same time yeah but finding where that pitching it right is quite tricky because if you can be too deluded, people can... I've done a few where people go, oh, that's, this is just a bit sad. This guy <laughs> still thinks he can make it. Oh, my God. Or, but if you're too knowing the other way, it's just you lose that sense of uh, the romance of, uh, you know, trying to make it. So it's that line between failure and dreaming. I'm trying to really ride it. That's yeah. quite a thing yeah. amongst actual pop stars as yeah. well. Like, I, I've worked with many, many, many different people who have, let's say, seen greener days in their career. <laughs> and... Like, who remembers Kavanaugh? Yeah. Kavanaugh from the 90s. Kavanaugh still thinks that he is yeah. famous. Yeah. Oh, yes. Does he? Oh, my God, yes. Literally. Like, if somebody, you know, is d trying to get through to go to the bathroom, Kavanaugh thinks they want an autograph. Like, yeah. literally. And but isn't that nice to, like, live in the <laughs> fantasy still? Like, I wouldn't you want <gasps> that for yeah, yourself? Yeah, but I think he also knows. It's like, it's like he's enthusiastic uh, for, the, for the myth. But then also, I think he's tired of maintaining the myth. Well, I, I did something God, really sad. sad the other day, getting a taxi back from a show, and I was in the uh, taxi, and I had my guitar, and the taxi driver looked at me, I said, yeah, I'm doing a show. <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to... And he goes, uh, so he goes, so what's your... I was telling that, she goes, so you famous then? And Aww. I was like, and I looked around, no one else in the taxi. I went, yeah, I am, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and he went, well, 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 I've seen you in then. I went, oh, you see me a few things. <laughs> like, really sad. <laughs> I've been on with Ricky Gervais. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just don't tell him it's a cardboard cutout. Yeah, yeah. Taxi drivers on. love a yarn. I always think because they're always very inquisitive. If they're if you're having a nice chatty time with them, they well they're very inquisitive with me, obviously, because they're like, what is this? And um, so I'll I'll sit and keep them amused with yeah. tales, <laughs> tales <laughs> from the nightlife. You know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
Now, both of your shows, I know, Andy, your show's at 1.30 p.m. at the Caves. Yes. And Sarah, your show, Badass, what time are you on it? I'm on at 2.05 p.m. in the afternoon every day at the Pleasance Courtyard. 2.05 p.m. Oh, 5 p.m., how precise. Um, so you'll be able to yes. see both of their shows. You probably would have to see them on different days because I imagine they overlap yeah. timings-wise. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, both of you, for joining thank us for the Vanity you. Project. And thank you all for being with us this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.